1: Welcome to Secrets of the Side Hustle with me, Scarlett Russell, entertainment editor of the Sunday Times Style. This podcast was created so I could sit down and have conversations with inspiring female founders about their career stories. And for us, it was people were seeing exactly what they were sending because they were buying it. They were buying the pads. We said, we want this and this and this. And they said, OK, use their own money, bought it, sent it to us. Spanning industries from fashion and tech. No one had ever said to me, you can work in technology. My idea of what it was to work in technology was to be a software engineer and, you know, write lines of code, create software. To publishing and food. I was so poor, I couldn't. Afford, I remember looking at the cupboard and, because I couldn't afford any food. I remember looking at the cupboard, and being like, "Huh, what can I make from what's right here?" Each week, we'll discuss the practicalities of starting a business from scratch. It's
2: actually the most difficult part of wow. the side hustle because that's what takes up the time. So that's real. You know, I literally do everything at the moment.
1: I'll be delving into the personal and professional experiences of turning a side hustle into a thriving career. In this episode, I sat down with Cindy Lieberman and Faith Leaves, the founders of Lara Intimates. Lara Intimates is a sustainable and ethical lingerie brand for all sizes that launched in 2016. Its founders, Cindy Lieberman, who is 25, and Faith Leaves, who is 26, met at the London College of Fashion, where they were both studying swimwear and lingerie. Their final project was turned into Lara Intimates. Cindy and Faith. Hello and welcome to the show. Hello. Hi. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, it's interesting that this is the first time we've had Two guests on at the same time. (laughs) So, this is great. (laughs) So, why didn't you start telling me a little bit about um, where you're both from and how you came to meet at the London College of Fashion? Cindy, I hear a bit of an accent there. You're not from around here.
0: (laughs) No, I'm not. Um, So, I grew up in Boston in the States um, and I moved to London when I was 18 Mm -hmm. and I did a, a fashion foundation course at London College of Fashion. And then from there, I went on to the BA Fashion Contour, which is um, lingerie and swimwear design, and that's where I met Faith. Okay, great. Yeah.
1: Faith, what what about you? Where are you from?
0: I'm from Brighton,
2: so not that far away. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, I started an art foundation in Brighton, and then I took a few years out, and then decided that swimwear and lingerie design was really niche and unusual, so...
1: Yeah. And did you (laughs) both want to always work in fashion? Cindy, I read that your aunt, your grandmother, sorry, taught you how to sew. Is that right?
0: Yeah. um, Yeah. I think we've both been like sewing and making things since we were little. Um, Yeah. My grandma taught me how to sew when I was like eight or 10 years old. Um, And I did want to do it all the way through high school. And then when I got to London College of Fashion, I found that sort of, my skill set is sort of appreciates the product and the creative, but that's not a hundred percent where I want to be so I ended up doing some jobs during university in um, marketing for different startup and tech companies Um, and then it was a good pair up with Faith because she's very creative and the two of us kind of came together and she took over the the product side and I took over more the the marketing and sales side of the business.
1: Wow okay so tell me how so you were in your final year when you were you were paired together and you were given a project to make and this is how Laura Intimates came about
2: between second and third year you can do an industry placement year so um Cindy was working uh doing more marketing and I went to Australia and worked for a swimwear startup and I got there and I kind of was like wow they don't know what they're doing (laughs) even like even more than I do like it was really like new so I spent a lot of the time just like making it up kind of as i went along and kind of like learning as i went and there was like a really small team and then cindy came and visited me while we were out there and we were kind of discussing we were like we were like what are we gonna do like the jobs like i'm a maker like i love making things like i'm such a hands-on person mm-hmm. yeah we just thought there's a better way of doing this
1: so you decide and this is when you decided to make that your final project
2: yeah and then we were like if we do this together maybe it will you know okay Let's see how far it goes kind of thing.
1: And so how what did you have, what was the project? What parts did that entail? Was that making it and coming up with a marketing plan and yeah, a, as a, yeah. bus, a proper business proposal?
0: For example, when we first came up with the idea for the business the first thing we did was go to a fabric supplier we bought a bunch of materials we came back to my flat and um faith sat down at sewing machine i sat down with my laptop and just started writing a business plan she was trying products and um it's just been that way ever since basically it was just yeah we never questioned which roles we wanted we Mm -hmm. both just felt very comfortable in that in that um in the areas that we were in and i think Uh, what faith was describing was definitely the biggest motivation for starting the business. Like we were studying at London college of fashion and you're sort of in this bubble of doing your projects and your schoolwork. And then we went out into the industry and we were like, wait a minute. So we're learning to make these products that most of the design and sampling is outsourced and often rushed because it's outsourced. Um, A lot of people that are brands don't have very good relationships with their factories or with their suppliers. So a lot of times the quality isn't that good. And, you know, there's no transparency about bra sizing in the industry. And a lot of the materials are very, like not environmentally friendly or not very comfortable. So it was just... And then also we had an experience where we went to visit um, a factory in Wales that was a specialist lingerie factory. And there was a woman there that took like two hours to make a pair of briefs that Faith can make in about 11 minutes. (laughs) So we were like, there is this enormous opportunity to make customers happier and also to have a way smarter and more innovative supply chain that's actually current so we just kind of it just made so much sense like every step of the way we were just like okay this is a business that you know the world it needs just kind of
2: oh this also works really yeah, well and like, yeah we went to the factory in wales and we were kind of sitting there and i was like this is crazy like i'm a maker like i've spent the last four years learning how to make this stuff like this seems like a really not necessarily a waste of money because obviously setting up our own production is really challenging but I was like, no, if we want to do it properly, this is how.
1: So the way it works now is people will order first and then you make it based on that rather yeah. than having loads of stock. Which We do
2: build up the stock slowly. Like if if one is ordered, we'll make two. Mm-hmm. But then if it's a popular size, those two will probably go out straight away. So it might be in stock, but at the moment it's mm-hmm. not.
1: So yeah. it means you don't have lots of... Soft, unwanted. unwanted. So yes. this is where the yeah. sustainable yeah. Co- really comes into play. Yeah. Yeah. so interesting. And you sell only online, or do you have? Um, as you mentioned, a studio as well. Do you sell in the studio? What? How does it work?
0: Yeah, we have. um, So I'd say probably about 90 or 95% of our sales are online on our own uh, website on lauraintimates.com. And then we have uh, fitting appointments every Thursday afternoon. So I'd say we have between 20 and 30 appointments every Thursday between three and seven. Mm. So we're just kind of packed full of people every Thursday (laughs) afternoon. Yeah.
1: So you've done that. So you know you've got a viable business on your hands. So was it quite scary then knowing, okay, you haven't Got the kind of the backing, I suppose, of LA, of the London College of Fashion anymore. You're out in you're your business owners, and you need to start a business. Was that quite scary?
0: I feel like it was just I, I don't know. Just when you're setting up a business and it's getting traction, I get so we so in our final year of school, the graduation was um, like july of 2017 but we finished our whole collection in february of 2017 shot it and then we had a kickstarter campaign in may and then we won a couple of grants in the spring and in the summer um, and also with a visa for me to stay and then we used the kickstarter money to buy machines and set up a small studio space in soho and then we launched the business in september 2017 so it was kind of just Until September of 2017, it was just like one foot in front of the other. Like we were constantly going and going.
1: Right. So even before you were launching, you'd have done so much before. Mm -hmm. So how does the Kickstarter campaign work? How much did you make from that?
0: We raised just under £23,000. Wow. And that's just from people from strangers, isn't
1: it? (laughs) (laughs) Contributing to a fund. Yeah. It's
0: incredible. You know, most
2: Kickstarters, you know, if it's... A decent amount is normally just friends and family. And then we were kind of like, wow, we know virtually none of these people. It was kind of amazing. And that kind of proves that you have a product that people Mm. want before you launch. So it's quite a good way of testing if your product is actually... And how do they find out
0: about it? It's just a lot of word of mouth, I think. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And Kickstarter kind of promotes stuff that is getting seen. And yeah. people are backing it so it kind of they want you to do well because then they do well mm. so they push
0: mm. yeah it was interesting because we had this idea that we were going to be like Lara Intimates would be a sustainable and um, ethical alternative to high street underwear we didn't want to be too expensive we wanted to be very accessible we wanted to be the product that you just reach for every morning um, but then After we launched in September 2017, we started noticing that a lot of the customers that were coming in were like 30F or 28E or um, these sizes that most brands didn't stock. Um, And it was funny because Faith and I both have like a 28 Underband, So we were just like, well, obviously, we're going to wear our own product. And then we put it out on Instagram. We we're like, OK, what's the largest size that anybody's interested in? At the time, it was a 36E. Mm-hmm. So that was the biggest size that we did. And we just did all of the sizes in between. So then we accidentally sort of stumbled into this niche market of small back large cup sizes that um, and we also did them in proper sizing in wireless bras that were quite supportive so it ended up being this interesting niche and the sustainability was just sort of this like cherry on top for a lot of our customers mm. so in so now the business is more of a specialist lingerie brand that is also ethical and sustainable throughout basically which nobody else is really doing
1: mm. no not at all I mean you mention the price just then I would say that's Possibly on the more expensive side, you know, £20, I think, for briefs, £48 mm-hmm. for a bra. It is a lot more expensive than the high street. But of course, it's made here. It's sustainable, Sustainable. I'm sorry, um, and ethical. So presumably that's what people are paying for. Tell me about how it, it grew then from... You've launched only two years ago, actually. And it's this huge business. I've got something like 18,000 followers on Instagram. So <laughs> that's pretty good. But that's like a powerful... As we always ask on this show about how you harness that social media power because it is so important mm-hmm. to so many brands, especially, I'd say, for retail and fashion mm-hmm. um, and a millennial kind of audience as well. Uh, presumably a lot of people who are buying the bras on Instagram, they're finding out from Instagram. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how did you, you how do you use your feed and stories to promote the brand?
0: It's just very honest
2: and yeah. transparent. We were quite clear from the beginning that we just wanted to show what we were up to because the studio and the factory is really cool and like we worked really hard to make it something that yeah, we were mm. we wanted to show it off. We wanted to kind of be like, look, there's a better way of doing it like really transparent. Let's show people how we make it. Let's show people who makes their bras and people really like it. They yeah. like that they can yeah. And also so yeah. we didn't
0: have any marketing money. So like <laughs> the cheapest, <laughs> most effective thing that we could do was like, like I take my phone and I walk across the room and I look at what color fabric we're cutting and what we're selling today. Mm-hmm. And that just ended up like really resonating with people. But I think as well on Instagram there's a
2: lot of brands that just use stock imagery or their e photos and they don't have anything else because their studio is just full of their stock or, you know, there's not that kind of creative visual element whereas in our studio it's all it just looks really appealing I think and people Mm -hmm. like to see what's going on because we show it
1: off and I think you have models don't you on on your Instagram it's all models rather than just the product yeah models actually wearing the product models Mm -hmm. of different sizes and we get so many
2: customers sending pictures yeah
1: you have your stories don't you that each story is a different name Mm -hmm. yeah what's that then
0: Um, I just started, like, somebody will send us, you know, three to ten photos of them in a product. And, like, what we find is that um, we have so many sizes. that So if we have, like, three models in three very specific sizes and then somebody in a totally different size is trying to shop on our Instagram or on our website, they don't have enough information and, like, visual reference to understand how that product's going to look on them. So by having the customer photos... We're kind of saying, okay, if you're a 32G and you want to see what that size looks like, here it is. Like, so people really like that we post the customer pictures with the product and the size that they're wearing, um, and then kind of explain something about the product and how it fits and, it just seems to really work and we actually get a lot of requests from people being like hey what size is this this is what I wear do you have anything similar or
1: Mm. yeah and you mentioned that you didn't use any of that money for marketing so you've with the kickstarter money did that basically all go on actually making physically making the products and paying Mm -hmm. the factories and your um your space in Soho you said and then at which point did you move to Hackney where your studio is now?
0: We moved to hackney in june of 2018 um so we just kind of the studio space that we were in in soho was getting um like renovated into something else so we had to move out um and then it was also it was only about 500 square feet so we've moved into somewhere a little bit bigger now
1: do you employ people
0: oh yeah yeah. there's six
1: of us six of you Mm -hmm. um in the studio i mean other than the factory no it's So it's the factory is in, in the studio it's all one space yeah it's all one space so what are the other four doing making the
0: yeah so we've got three full-time on production and then one uh girl that helps me full-time so yeah there's six of us there full-time and one girl part-time at the moment
1: wow yeah. i thought it was interesting i read that you guys um it's a part of the four-day working week so you yeah. have three yeah. yeah tell me about that <laughs>
2: Um, We work four days a week. (laughs) Monday to Thursday. Yeah. It was something that we were like, okay, we can't give you millions of pounds, but we can give you a whole day off, which I think people, it was like instant. Like,
0: we're like, we're going to try it next week. We tried it no talk of it ever going back the other way like the customers are also obsessed with it like i'm not sure we mentioned it on instagram one time Mm. people went mental they were like oh my god this is so great i love you guys so much like i was like (laughs) why do you care but that that's really cool yeah Yeah. and i
2: think it kind of proves that production doesn't have to be like this you know horrible working environment it can Mm. be like really beneficial for everyone
1: that works yeah, there. yeah. Well, i think there's a lot of that and i think it's important for companies like you the newer companies who are starting up to mm-hmm. to be doing it because yeah. then others will follow yeah. whereas mm-hmm. it's harder to have something that's really established changing get <laughs> scared of change but yeah if that's what you've definitely. never known that's great yeah and what is your working day then what time will you start and finish
0: uh we do nine to six monday to thursday
1: do you feel that for you to specifically, you're always working, um, you're never really switching off or do you make sure you do have your, your weekend?
2: It's hard for me because I have to have my sewing machine to mm. kind of be working. So there's obviously other things that I can be doing, but on the whole it's quite hard because I can't take my sewing machine home with me mm-hmm. but I think it's harder for you because yeah it's on your phone it's on your laptop it's you know yeah
0: I guess um it just I try to um just take it in waves so if there's a big project going on I'll work on the Friday or the Saturday or whatever just to make sure that things are moving as fast as possible because you know if we're working with people that don't work a four-day week I feel like in order to get things done quickly I might need to answer them on a Friday But, um, yeah, I mean, I think we try to give ourselves a break as well and recognize that it's important.
1: Um, Let's talk a little bit about promotion, because you did a a really great ploy when you started. Um, You went out and did you had a big pink van and you went out and (laughs) did bar fittings on the street. I love that you brought that up. The busty bus. (laughs) The busty bus. (laughs) The busty bus. (laughs) (laughs) That's brilliant. Okay, so who thought of that?
2: Well, we were kind of in this weird position where we were, like, getting more and more customers all the time. But the kind of word of mouth was really working. Mm. So we were kind of like, how can we make people talk about this even more? And, like, how can we get people in the product? Because once they're in it, they're like, oh, my God, this is great. Like, I need five. Yeah. So we knew that once we got people in it, that it works. So that was just a fun way to actually get out there rather than being stuck in the studio and just kind of like waiting for people to come for a fitting we thought that you know spin it around and try and get out there Mm. which was would you just
1: approach people in the street and say hey do you want a bra fitting
0: no people would pre-book
1: okay so how do they know about it
0: mostly through instagram okay we just kind of a few months before the summer last year we were just like do you want us to come to your city? If we get enough votes, we'll be there. And actually, the first few events, um, we didn't have people pre-book, and some of them were really busy, and some of them weren't. And then we did one in Spitalfields where people did pre-book appointments, and it was like, like forty or something. It was it was like insanely busy. It was crazy. So um, yeah, I mean, like Faith said, once people are in the product, they love it. But I think we're still. Um, overcoming the barrier that a lot of women are not ready to buy bras online and we also Mm. weren't in a position to spend a ton of money like researching and redoing a website to get like people into the right Mm. product or ordering online so we just kind of we did that on a very scrappy budget and it was just like it had a really good spirit it had a lot of energy and people were really into it and it was cool and weird and people wanted to try it
1: and yeah it worked really really well. I mean, it's... Do you think it's quite a crowded market? Is that one of the challenges? Or do you think there's a real appetite um for what you're doing? It sounds so unique actually. Because it's um, very niche, that's the thing. It's not like you get a clothes company that can just make loads and loads of tops. It's very specific. But to I think that's apples. what people
2: want. People right. want stuff that they know is gonna fit them and they can buy it again in another colour. So I many think customers
0: that- come in and they just they immediately start telling you their story and their experiences yeah. with bras. Mm. Like they just Yeah, because it's just so frustrating and there's just nobody that like and I but think you know, does it in a
2: personal enough way because we have our own production it means that we can really cater to people whereas I think if you're making bras mass production they don't want to extend the size range because it means so much more time and cost and all of those things so they kind mm-hmm. of put everyone into this tiny little space when actually it's like sizes and body shape and everything is so big mm-hmm. so I think we're kind of lucky in the fact that We produce our own stuff.
1: I mean, what advice would you give to any other friends who are looking to start up a business together? What would you tell them?
2: Have a really good product. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That has to be 100% the focus, I think. Yeah. Rather than being like, I want to start a business. It has to be like, oh, this product is amazing. And I think that, you know, prove that it has traction, prove that people Mm. actually want it because I think without that you're just trying to sell something that's never really gonna
0: yeah I think also have a great product and then also you have to kind of don't just spend like a year or two putting together a great product and then show it to people you have to like do a little bit of work and then the very first samples you show to somebody and you get feedback and then you go through that process again and again until you feel like it's at a standard where you can launch it because To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. You're just the more like feedback and like understanding of your customers that you can get, the better like yeah. you'll do, basically. I think we've done that in the in the customer fittings, which like at the beginning we were just like, okay, how can we, you know, sell to as many customers as possible? But it actually ended up being this bridge between us and the product and the factory and the customers and understanding exactly what they want. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think that feedback loop is super important. And you've
1: been doing it since uni, but since you left university, but did you ever take on other jobs as well? Or have you just been doing this, the both of you?
2: I I worked Mm part-time
0: and then... But not until, like, only before we launched the business. Like, only when we were developing the product. We never worked after we launch the business oh really yeah
1: so there's enough there for you to kind of survive
0: yeah I mean we didn't pay ourselves a proper salary until about what eight months ago or something so it was so the first like year and a bit we didn't like fully pay ourselves Um, but
1: yeah so what were you how were you surviving where was that money (laughs) cheaply
2: we pay ourselves like a very very I can pay my rent I can get to work
0: i can buy my food but rent like in it. london's expensive yeah. exactly yeah yeah yeah. Um, yeah but i guess the founders eat last yeah so.
1: <laughs> what are your plans for our intimates for the future how do you think you're going to turn that profit and grow
0: well i think that the next year is really about um continuing to grow the business and get new customers but also really continuing to refine and Everything that we do and make Mm -hmm. sure that we're really, you know, training our employees the right way and getting that process down Um, and making sure that the product is exactly what people want. And. um, Yeah, and just continuing to grow it digitally is the main is the main plan, Um, and I think ultimately. I would love to see it as, um, you know, a household name that is associated with specialist lingerie and a company that really celebrates women. That's, I think, really what we want to be known for.
1: Would you like to go into a Selfridges or a a big department store like that?
0: It's uh, yeah, as a small brand, we're nervous about adding a wholesale arm to the business because it's an enormous upfront cost for The brands, like in my opinion, I don't think that they treat the brands well enough. The department stores, I think they've had a leg up for so long. Um, because as a brand, you do this a ton of this like upfront manufacturing cost, we would do it based on our product margin or profit margins. And then once it's in a department store, you can't control how much they discount it, which obviously discredits your brand. And you can't control how good the fitters are going to be in the fitting room, Mm -hmm. or if somebody you know, is picking up the right size on the rail. So it, it's very, very difficult. Um mm. Maybe one day if somebody wanted to work with us in an interesting way, yeah. but... Um, we did kind of yeah. be like, oh, maybe we could make it work and we could And then it was just like, you know, everything had to be
2: wrapped in plastic. It had to come on plastic hangers. And we were like, no.
0: So we're going to produce a million
2: plastic hangers just, just so, to yeah. send it to a department store. It was just not within quite, the ethos and of like, the brand. we make right. in a different, you know, we largely make to order and we were kind of like well i kind of custom we look after our customer really well like yeah it might get our people might see our name quicker but i think that it just was it Mm. doesn't work like the way we've set it up and from the beginning we're like no we're direct to consumer Mm. this is how we're going
1: to do it yeah Mm. yeah yeah fantastic um it must have been a quite hard decision to it sounds like no, actually. It was a bit of a no-brainer. <laughs> but wow, <laughs> to be approached this early on, that's yeah. great. But the, you mentioned the sustainability. And actually, we haven't really talked about that enough because it's a huge part of the brand as being su- sustainable mm-hmm. and ethical. And you mentioned so the, the fact that you don't have loads of stock lying around. Mm-hmm. That's obviously fantastic. And it's actually in the materials you use as well, isn't it? That they ethically sourced
0: um so we use dead stock materials so industry offcuts that other brands and factories would have thrown away we work with a supplier that sources those from around the world and then brings them back to england and we shop for them here wow how yeah. does that work um it our supplier basically used to own a lingerie factory mm-hmm. in england and um Several decades ago, all of his clients moved production to the Far East, so he had to switch his business model. So he started buying dead stock. So he had lots of stuff left over, and he was like, "Well,
2: it's worth something." Wow! And then Mm. now knows the other factories, and they send what they have left on the roll. Mm. But that does mean for us, like once the color has been used, there's no more. Yeah. So Mm. we. Are cycling through the colors quite quickly at the moment mm. but I think people like that because then they buy a bra they know that they like that bra and it fits them really well and a new color comes and like great I know that that already fits me and I love mm. it already so
0: and yeah and so. it works really well for production like in terms of our like our processes because then we have the same product that the whole factory team knows how to make and they just do it in new colors regularly so and then for the customers a lot of women like to have the same bra style just in loads of different colors Mm. so it makes it really easy once you find your size and your style that you like you can come back and buy it every time there's a new color that you like or every time you need a new bra Mm.
1: and was that personally both very important to you to make it ethical yeah
0: Mm. yeah Yeah. it was kind
2: of we just thought we could do it in a better way like we just kind of experienced the industry very briefly and were like wait
0: this is wait no this doesn't Mm. work there's lots of things that you're like that's not right and i think people have such a picture in their head now of what um what apparel manufacturing can look like um and often it's a very dark sort of image um you know there's like the Rana plaza tragedy like that was very sad and you know we just basically want to create the complete opposite of all those things. Like, we really believe that, like, sewing machinists in the UK on average are paid about £17,500 a year. It's often work that will be done on like zero hour contracts, or if you take sick days, you can get fired. Like, just really, really basic things that people need to have a a sustainable fulfilling career they just don't get and i think it's really hard for us when we grew up like we like to do sewing and and art and creative things and we liked making products and then to come into the industry and be like oh i can only have a job that is really difficult if i want to do this work so should i go to a totally different industry so our motivation was to just try to do everything in a different better way and then there's this really interesting mission that comes out of that where um we're about supporting women as our customers obviously but then the other side of that is the factory and how we're trying to make that you know a really aspirational job and an aspirational lifestyle
1: Mm. wow so would you like to see your factory which is in your hackney studio now would you like to see that expanding be bigger and bigger is that the dream definitely yeah Yeah. i think
2: that's that's exciting for me i think it's like really motivating and i think that like there's loads of awesome women out there that would want to be a part of it because I think there's you know, like you said, like people. It's just not a a job that people see as much value, even though making mm-hmm. clothes is. Everybody needs to wear something Mm, and it's all made by somebody.
1: So, Mm. you know. So people need to be buying this product more and more (laughs) so you can afford to employ loads of of people. (laughs) Is it all women? Do you employ all women specifically? Oh, fantastic. Is there anything else you do that ethically you do to push that sustainability? Yeah,
2: we've got new packaging coming. Um, yeah
0: we currently have a there's one piece of uh, biodegradable plastic in our packaging but we're getting rid of that and moving to all um recyclable so packaging great. and then um yeah we have we don't produce any fabric waste um in the studio in production um yeah there's yeah pretty much i mean the majority of it is that we source the fabrics are dead stock the um elastics are all made in england um The garment labels and swing tickets are made in England. Mm. Um, So we just I mean, a lot of the sustainable and ethical work, like it sounds so complicated, like it would add hours of work to every single day that you do. But it's actually not. It's just like when you first go and choose your suppliers at the very beginning of setting up your business, Mm. you just choose people that you're proud to work with. And then it's done and you have relationships with them and you Mm. work with them. It's Mm. you know, it's just everybody has their fabric supplier. We Mm. just chose to use this one because we feel good about it. Yeah.
1: So we do always ask our guests about mentors and I'd love for you to tell me if there is one or two mentors that have really helped shape your business and given you loads of advice or still give you lots of advice.
0: Um, yeah, we have uh, probably the one that we work with the most consistently is a a Business coach that we have named Richard Hughes Jones. Um, and he is, um, he has a lot of experience um, in consulting and corporate business. And he basically works with us um, as a coach, both on business planning and operational things, basically wherever we need it. And then also on communication and um, any sort of support that we need, really. Gotcha.
2: Yeah. Like just the things that you probably get when you work in the industry but obviously we haven't had that much experience working Mm. in the industry as we're just doing it from Mm. university so he's really good to have somebody with that different perspective because Mm -hmm. we don't have that experience Mm -hmm. and like if we're going to build a business with lots of women sewing there's going to need to be a lot of
0: yeah, figuring out, he does a lot of work in, um, helping businesses figure out how they go from one or two people to 10 people and then a hundred people. So that is sort of a daunting idea for us because we're like, Oh my God, how do we organize those people? How much time do we devote to training them? What, you know, um, it's just never, it's something that we haven't done before. So he comes in with sort of that practical experience and, mm-hmm. and coaches us through it, which is really, really helpful. How did you find him? He was, um, he was like a prize in one of our London College of Fashion grants. He basically came yeah. as with uh, like coaching time mm-hmm. uh, with one but of the then grants. We've
1: continued,
0: yeah, we to still work, work with him. him, yeah, because he's really great, yeah.
1: <laughs> but you really think that's money well spent, do you, to have that yeah. industry advice? Oh,
0: hundred percent. So, okay. Yeah, great. Yeah, yeah. I think you have to be really, really self-aware about what you're good at and what you don't have on your team, mm. and yeah. if something feels like wow, this is taking me a long time to figure out or I don't, I feel really daunted by this. There's going to be somebody out there that knows how to do it very efficiently. So you need to like go out and seek out
1: that knowledge for sure. Yeah. Guys, that's. So, I've got so much interesting knowledge there. <laughs> <laughs> so how can people find out more about Lara Intimate? You can go to laraintimates.com
0: and you can shop or you can send us an email or follow us on Instagram at Lara
1: Intimates fantastic or go in and book an appointment yeah
0: yeah you can come in
2: and i like it when people come in and they're like oh my god i'm in instagram
1: (laughs) (laughs) that's the best (laughs) it's really funny and you can ship all over the uk presumably
0: yeah all over the world do
1: you ship internationally as well we do yeah wow guys that's so interesting well look best of luck with it It sounds like such an amazing business so so interesting thank you thank you so much for coming in
0: thanks for having us
1: Well, what a fantastic conversation that was. Thank you all so much for listening. And of course, please subscribe, share and rate the show on Acast, Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you indulge in your podcast habit. Make sure to tell your friends and family, especially if you think this podcast will help them with their own side hustle. I've been Scarlett Russell and this has been Secrets of the Side Hustle.